Steve and uh, AJ, appreciate you guys and ladies. Steve's got a great message coming up tonight. Uh, he didn't tell me it was great. He just told me what the title was. And uh, if there's anything like last week's, there's a great message. The title of the message again is? A Truth to Build Upon. A Truth to Build Upon. And I said, brother, the Holy Spirit of God is really working because my message is on have I really learned. And I, I, I should have put one more word. Have, you, have I really learned anything <laughs> since I've been saved? And uh, we'll see the, this morning, the Lord willing. Have I learned anything? Because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of Christians who have been saved for a number of years and they don't know diddly do about the Word of God. I mean, they know very little, and that should never be the case. Amen? And then even 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 at that, uh, we find some are just kind of scratching at it a little bit there, and there's no real depth uh, to their lives. And so, as I said, the title of the message is, Have I Really Learned? And uh, our key verse really is uh, verse 11 from Philippians chapter 4. And it says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have what? I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, how many of you remember, um, was it Borden's uh, canned milk? Mm -hmm. And they told you it was good for babies because it comes from contented cows. <laughs> I just don't know how contented a cow can be. I have no idea. But I know that when it comes to believers, we should be the most contented people on, face, on the face of this earth. Amen? We should be, yeah, but you don't know all the about... No, 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 don't even go there. Because if you go there, it means you really haven't learned what you need to learn. So we have mentioned a number of times recently, not that we haven't heard it many times before, it is that life isn't always fair. Now, we would... That as redeemed of the Lord, that the Lord would make our path straight, removing the potholes and the valleys and any other obstacles that might get in our way. The last thing I, I want to do is to start a project and realize I don't have what I need or I really have bitten off more than I can chew, which I oftentimes do. So, water always seems to take the path of least resistance. And in the process, streams and rivers seldom run in a straight line, do they? We live in a fallen world, and in our life, there are going to be some obstacles for which we will have to deal with. Now, you're thinking to yourself, tell me something I don't already know, preacher. Tell me something I don't already know. Well, God allows them. I'm going to tell you that. God allows them because there are times of spiritual growth, times of getting closer to the Lord. More time in his word. Times of building trust and faith in the Lord to name a few reasons. I believe that many times in our lives we find ourselves having to repeat some of those challenging times for no other reason that we didn't learn from them the first time around. Now, the adult life of the Apostle Paul became vastly different than his, than his early adulthood. He was an aspiring Pharisee with a great, great future as a Pharisee. We first see him, or meet him, as I should say, as Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Hold your finger in Philippians, and we'll be back here, but turn with me very quickly to uh, Acts chapter 7. And in that chapter, we find the first Christian uh, martyr, which was 
the uh, Stephen, and and of course the religious leaders, the errant religious leaders, the false religious leaders didn't like what Stephen had to say. And get used to the idea that if you preach the truth, you teach the truth, or you speak the truth, you're not going to be the most popular person on your block. Amen? You won't even be the most popular person in your family. Well, it doesn't mean that when the time is available, the time is right, and the time is appropriate, that you speak the, you speak the truth anyway. But we read there in, uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, and it says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Stephen kneeled down, and cried, uh, yeah, Stephen kneeled, kneeled down, and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or he, he died, he passed out. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to, their, to his burial and made great uh, lamentation over him. For as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, inhaling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. God did the spore where he sent them out into the world, out into the world where they needed to hear the gospel. But it's not exactly the kind of guy you wanted to have as your neighbor or maybe your best friend if you were a Christian. Amen. He didn't like Christians. He thought they were wicked. He thought they were vile. And he thought they should be imprisoned and they should be killed. And he made it his life's vocation at least he thought it was going to be, to go and to gather as many Christians as he could to eradicate this sect called Christians. And so if we fast forward to the life he lived following his Damascus Road experience as recorded in, in Acts chapter 9 where Christ uh, approached the Apostle Paul in a very unique in a very unique way, we'll say this, that life for Paul wasn't not only unfair, it was rough to say the least as he recounted it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if we can turn there. So once he came to know Christ, his life changed. And you may be thinking, it didn't sound like it changed for the better, preacher. And we'll see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28. And Paul writes, he says, uh, are they Hebrews? And he's, he's uh, in a discussion here. He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that were without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And uh, 
doesn't sound like he had a smooth road. Doesn't sound like God was removing obstacles and patching up the, the potholes along the way. So in our source text for today, the topic is discontentment. And it's one of those weapons the devil uses to get God's people to be disgruntled. Frumpy grumpies. Just dissatisfied with everything in life. Unless everything is going my way, I'm not a happy camper. Well, we find the Apostle Paul, with all his past experiences and his present circumstances being in prison in Rome, and he states for us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not only to the Philippian believers, but to us of all ages, he said, I've learned. I've learned some things in my journey. Things I could not have otherwise learned if I didn't experience the things that I did. If I did not go through the things that I went through, there would have been things that I would have been ignorant about. So he says, I have learned, which is to state I have gained knowledge. That's what learning is, amen? It's about gaining knowledge. Discontent is basically being dissatisfied with that present be it things or situations or circumstances, and simply life in general and wanting something else. Feeling like somehow I've married the wrong person. Or somehow they switched my kids at birth. <laughs> and we can go on down and we can list all the things for which we feel that somehow we deserve better. Well, let me tell you, envy is a sister to discontentment. And as long as we envy, we possess an unteachable spirit. And we're not going to learn the things that God wants us to learn. Learning is important, isn't it? Now, you wouldn't want your kid to turn around and say, well, my kids, my grandfather only had, about, I think, about a sixth grade education. But he was a, he was a self-educated individual beyond that. He conducted a very successful business. He could hold a conversation, politics or otherwise, with just about anybody in town. But he was a man who wanted to learn, and he learned. Not always easy, but he learned. And we know the value of a good education, provided it's a Christ-centered education as far as I'm concerned. But you certainly want your, want your children to go out into the world unprepared for a world. First of all, spiritually. Sometimes we focus so much on the academics that we forget about we need to prepare them spiritually. Because they get out there and they have all the academics, but they don't have the spiritual uh, restraints, they don't have the spiritual guidelines or the guardrails to keep themselves on track. And so we find here that education is important. Having a teachable spirit. And that means accepting what God brings into our lives and realizing that, Lord, I know this is a teachable moment. Lord, I want, to I want to expand my understanding. I want to be able to expand the means and the method by which you can use me for your honor and for your glory. Well, as we look at have I really learned anything, let's look to the Lord in a prayer. Father, won't you guide and direct the message this morning? Lord, it is so important that in this particular day and age, especially when we're living in a world that is so vile and so filthy, look, there's some good things, yes. But Lord... Spiritually speaking, 
Too many of God's people are taking their cue from the world. They're allowing the world to dictate what, what, what extent they're going to believe and what they're going to accept, what they're going to practice and what they're not going to practice. They seem to have an attitude that if it's okay with the world, it must be okay with God. And yet they have no idea what God really thinks or doesn't think, what God says what God doesn't say. And so, Lord, may we be an example, whether here in the sanctuary or those at home, when we're out and about in our communities or going through the things that we go through and the things that we have to deal with because, Lord, you want us to learn some very important lessons in life. Not as punishment, but, Lord, spiritual growth. Some real, serious, where the rubber meets the road, spiritual growth. So, Lord, won't you guide, won't you direct today, whether it's to salvation or to rededication. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. So the very first point this morning is, do I possess a teachable spirit? That's important. I had a problem when I went to school. When I, when, I, when I started school, the first thing, it was a one-room school room. No, and I didn't have to walk to, to school a mile one way and a mile back and deep snow up to my eyebrow and whatever else over that was there. But it was a one-room one schoolhouse in South Bridgeton. And eventually my folks moved into Bridgeton and I started school, but I hated school. I did not like school. My sister, my oldest sister, Jane, she remembers the day that my mom sat me down in the kitchen and said, you're going to learn how to count from, you're going to have to count from one to ten. So I didn't have a very teachable spirit. I mean, there were trees to climb. There were some woods out there to, to explore. There were some things I wanted to do, and it wasn't sit down here and learn how to count from one to ten. How stupid can that be? What point is there to learn how to count from one to ten? And so she was having a hard time getting me to discipline myself through 1 through 10. And you know how that is, you, you bribe your children. If you get these next couple right here, you get some candy. So you get the first couple right. And then you mess up the next ones. My mother became so exasperated, she took me over her knee and said, this is one, this is two, one, two, this is three, one, two, three. Man, I, I, I got the one to 10 real quick. I think I got here. Now, today she'd probably go to jail for that. <laughs> well, let's face it, sometimes God has to take us over his knee because we don't always have that teachable spirit. Now, when we pause to think about this subject of learning and teachableness, do we realize that there are things that God wants us to learn about him? Amen? It's not only just about this world, but things that he wants us to know about him. He has given us many things to learn about him in the book. But you know what? They're just facts. They're just simple facts. Until God puts us through our paces and all of a sudden, hey, I remember what the Bible said. And then we pick up on something about God that we didn't have because of what we're going through. So first of all, God wants us to know that he loves us unconditionally. Isn't that wonderful? So the world, the, the world doesn't understand what that concept of unconditional is. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, something happened. Christ died for us. Amen. Or we're more familiar with John 3.16, because you always see it in football season. You see someone's always holding up a sign, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have what? everlasting life. So God loves us. And that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. Not because we are so cute and cuddly. Not because we have a great personality or we are popular with our friends or whatever else. 
He loved us when we were altogether unlovable and unworthy. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now certainly that can't be about me, preacher. Oh, why not you? Why not me? Well, preacher, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good person at heart. Well, God speaking through his prophet Isaiah said this about our, our goodness. But we are, but we all are, as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are what? As filthy. Our righteousnesses. That is what we're offering up to God to take place of what his son did on the cross of Calvary. Well, I'm a good person, or I go to church, or I read my Bible, or I do this and I do that. But if you have not come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. Amen? God loves you. He doesn't love your sin nature. And that's why he sent his son to eradicate it through the blood. So the, God wants us to know this so that we will turn to him and we will be saved. He wants us to know that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now the truth be told, none of us will ever find a, righteousness, find a righteous standing before God without first coming to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 10.3 says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about establishing their own righteousness. And boy, don't we live in a society today that's establishing their own righteousness? They won't take the time to read the word of God to find out what God expects of them. And so they go about making excuses. Well, the world seems to accept. The world doesn't have a problem with this. Well, what the world has a problem with or doesn't have is the question, what does God have a problem with? How does God see it? That's what really is. Anytime you take the, the, your, your cue from the ideology of the world, you're a fool. You're an absolute, either very naive, stupid, or an absolute fool if you're going to take your cue from the world. Because the world's not going to get you into heaven. And the world's not going to sit in judgment of you. And the world's not going to pay for your salvation. They have no idea or clue how to do that. So he says here, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. God is a righteous God, amen? And if you're going to have any real in-depth relationship and fellowship with him, then you're going to have to find out what his righteousness is all about. And then you're going to have to say, That's what I want for me. And then set about inculcating into our lives the righteousness of God as the redeemed of the Lord. Now, secondly, God wants us to know, and I'm just touching on these first couple, God wants us to know that we can trust him. Amen. So why do we despair and say, okay, Lord, why? Why now? Why this? Why me? <laughs> That's really questioning your confidence in trusting God. And so, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And what? Lean not to thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord. You and I can probably figure a half a dozen to a bazillion ways of getting out of a pothole. 
But God has the one right way. Amen? There's a lot of things that we can justify or try to excuse or to endeavor to do that has no bearing on whatsoever of, with trusting God. So we tend to lean to our understanding. Whether it's my life and my personal problems, whether it is my marriage with problems, or whether it is work where I might have problems, or whether it's with my neighbors that I might have problems. Do I lean to my own understanding and try to bring, bring about an end to these things in the way that I feel I'm going to be best served in that process? And that usually is our outcome, our desired outcome, is that how it best serves me. But it may not be God's. God may be putting us through paces so that it's not about what best serves me, but what best serves him and those who observe and those who are watching, family members or neighbors or so on. And so trust is not trying to second-guess God as to the why. One of the things that people ought to stop asking God is why. Why? Because if he could stand in front of you face-to-face, nose-to-nose, he'd say, read the book. Read the Bible. And you'll find probably 99 to 9 tenths percent of all the whys right there in the Word of God. Trust is knowing that God always has his reasons. It's a learning opportunity. Whether you think you need to learn or not, it's always a learning opportunity. Now, what you, what you learn depends on how closely you walk with the Lord through the process. It depends on whether or not you're going to tell him how you think he should handle it. I just simply said, what, Lord, I don't know what to do at this point. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Amen. What, what were, don't, don't, that's music to the Lord's ear. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take my hands off. You know, I still have a problem with these modern cars today. I mean, I don't know about you, but there's just some things I want to be in control of. My wife often says you want to be in control of too much. But I don't, I'm not ready to sit behind a wheel and take my hands off and take a nap. And hope that everything goes well. <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to get an electric car and hope that somehow when I wake up, I'm going to be a burnt offering. <laughs> but trust is knowing that God always has his reasons. Trust is always remembering that he never breaks a promise. He never breaks a promise. When he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's what he meant. Yeah, when you're in those potholes, when you're in those valleys, when you're in those dark tunnels down here, you know he's there with you? Guiding you, directing you, if you and I will listen. And so, trust is knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. Also, trust is knowing that he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. Most of us all know that casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. For he careth for you. You, this infinitesimal little speck in the vast creation of God to places where our satellites haven't even gone yet. That's you and me. On the pinpoint of a pin. And of all of that, he cares for you. Amen. He cares for you. Now, these are some of the things that we learn from the scriptures. And they're reinforced when we go through life's experiences and we experience those things.
And so while some of these and many more are basic and germane to the Christian experience, they are learning opportunities, the laying of a foundation for learning greater things, deeper things. Now, there's, there's so much I would love to know. I, I don't have the mind for it. I mean, astrophysics and all that kind of stuff. You, you listen to these guys and all the things they're doing there. And think myself, How'd they ever get to that point? I'm, I'm still struggling on getting to 10. And, and, they're, and they're way out there doing these other things. Uh, when it comes right down to it. But they have this mind to be able to do that. But the, the, the idea is that the deeper things concerning God, and I believe that the Apostle Paul was one of those unique individuals in history who discovered the deeper things of God that enabled him to do things that you and I would have quit long ago. Some people won't come because, well, the pews are too hard and the preacher preaches too long. And he preaches against my sins, and I don't like that. <laughs> along the way. But... Deeper things concerning God. Because God has bigger and greater things for us to do. I doubt that many of us ever thought in our lifetime that God might use us to reach the world centuries after we have succumbed to death. Amen? The Apostle Paul was interested in his day. And I, I don't know if he perceived another thousand years or two thousand years down the road that we would still be learning from the Apostle Paul's experiences in life. And yet here we are. And so, but in order for God to be able to use us in whatever time frame we have left between now and the rapture, there are deeper things that God want, wants to teach us so that we can endure the things that God brings into our lives that we have no idea. But there are believers somewhere in this world today who are, who are going through, pardon me for the phrase, but a hell on earth in their lives because they're Christians. And so, God lays the groundwork. The groundwork has been laid, has to be laid before he can lead us to the deeper things of God. Now by deeper things, I mean not just only the knowledge of certain things, but having experienced them and the blessings and the benefits that are wrapped up in those things. Second point, as a child of God, I ask myself, am I malleable? Am I a malleable individual? A little bit different than being teachable. One shouldn't be saved so long or too long before they realize or have been told that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And as we look down throughout biblical history, we see how God has chosen men and women to do great things. Not that they woke up one day or said to themselves, I'm going to do something great for God today. But God had a purpose, God had a plan in which they were going to do great things. And some, down throughout history, some just ordinary things and things in between. Not necessarily anything great in and of themselves unless you consider well I thought the first thing I thought of was uh, Lois and Eunice two women living in a culture where women didn't have rights like men did who were Jews but had become Christians probably the grandmother first and then the mother next 
But I would say that Eunice and Lois attained to the level of service, as did Timothy, Eunice's son. Yet they, Eunice, was faithful to her responsibilities as a godly mother. Very faithful. She never attained to the type of ministry that Timothy did. But Timothy needed somebody to guide and direct him. We still read of the faithfulness of, of her, and her uh, and her grandmother to God. Paul acknowledges that. And here we are, several thousand years later, reading about these two women. Who, if they had not lived for the Lord, they would have been obscurity. <laughs> we would never know who they were. So in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes in, uh, in, in chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. Notice, unfeigned faith. Listen, being a mom's not an easy job. I know that. Anytime my wife was gone, I, was, I, I couldn't wait for her to get back home. So that she could do her job. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but the idea was that being a mom's a hard job. And especially if there's not a husband working with them. Supporting them in the raising of the children. I work all day. I bring home the bread. You take care of the kids. Give me the remote. <laughs> Whatever it is that they do. But they didn't have a dad. Timothy's dad was a Greek. Probably not saved. And so Paul recognized that these women had a faith. Probably akin to a faith. Very similar to my mom's faith. Well, my mother-in-law's faith. You know, it wasn't easy to raise nine children with an unsaved husband. Living on a really, really tight budget. And so, all nine of us are saved. Almost all nine um, in-laws are saved. I think many of them are, maybe one or two are not saved. I thank God that the grandchildren that come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now my great-grandchildren are in a prime place to come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But folks, God had a purpose for young Timothy in which his grandmother and mother were a vital part of God's plan for Timothy. Someone lived a life that brought Lois and Eunice to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And then someone mentored them, and they grew, and grew in grace. And when Timothy came along, they mentored him. And he came not only to a saving faith, but he became a major tool in the early church history for God to use. In the early years of the Apostle Paul's life, he was in his own words, Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. You could say he pretty much had a braggadocious spirit. Where he says in verse 4, rejoice in the, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all, I'm sorry, I'm chapter 4, I want to be in chapter 3. It said, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, he said, I am more. There was a day when I was a somebody. There was a day when people stepped aside when I came around. 
There were people who, when I sat down, they shut up and they listened. He said, I was prideful and I was proud. But he goes on. And he says, circumcise the eighth day. He says, I'm a Jew of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the... I'm not just a, he's a... In the Hebrews, I'm a who of who. I, I get this once in a while uh, to subscribe to the who's who. You've been elected. I'm, I have no idea who would elect me to be a who. Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the book of who's who. All I care about is my name is in heaven. Amen. I know it's there, and I'm happy, and I'm blessed to have my name there, and I could care less about the book of who's who, one way or another. But he would have been, he would have been hey, I want my name in that book. I want my name in that book of who's, uh, the book of who's who uh, in the world. And uh, he says, uh, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And so... He says, or I should say he had that Damascus Road experience where he encountered Christ. And Christ brought him to his knees. Because the Lord has a way of doing that to prideful men, bringing them to their knees. He has a way of humbling. And it was a life-changing experience for the Apostle Paul. And he had to do some catch-up. Because all those years prior to that, it was all about the law and the righteousness of the law. And so, where Paul was once on top of his world, seemingly everything was going his way. He wasn't struggling financially. He had prestige and he had power. He had his plans all lined up and he was going places. But Paul was about to learn that God also had plans for his life. Paul got saved. Paul got saved. The plans that God had for Paul required Paul to learn some things about God and how God wanted to use him, as opposed to how God, uh, Paul would have. But he says in chapter 3, also he's, in verse 7, he has come to this realization, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. All the things that I, I, I had planned and all the things I had purposed and in, in, in every place that I thought I was going among the Hebrews, he said, I count it all as dumb. And he did so for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So every incident Paul experienced prepared him to learn something wonderful about the Lord Jesus Christ. We read them back in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All those experiences brought him into a relationship with God that enabled him to keep going and keep going and keep going, not quitting. In fact, not only that, Paul relished every opportunity because he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he said that I may know him. See, we can't know Christ just simply just reading the Bible. You'll know of him. But to know him, you've got to experience him. Amen? And so he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, you kind of lost me there, preacher. I'm not so sure I want to learn about him through sufferings. But when you go through sufferings, you begin to realize what Christ did for us, how much he must have loved us. 
to go through and to endure what he had to endure. And we can't understand that until we ourselves endure the sufferings that God permits and allows into our lives. And Paul on the street said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You can't learn that by just simply studying the Bible. But you can learn it by taking the Bible and making an application to your life. Not just know of him, but know, or as the word would have it, as used here for know, is knowledge based on experience. Knowledge based on experience. What has been your experience with the Lord? Oh, I think he forgets me from time to time. Or as Pastor Jim Lake used to say, and uh, we've been Pastor Phillips and Brother Jim Lake, he would say this. He'd say, you know, yeah, he said, God brought me up here in 1980. He dropped me off and I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think sometimes that you could get that maybe up in the, up in the, uh, up in the North East Kingdom and so on there. God knows where we are. God knows what we're doing. Amen. And so experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus in his daily circumstances in a way that can only be attained when we so yield our lives that whether it would be deemed by some as bad as in Job's wife's case, why don't you just curse God and get it over with? And Job had the right answer. We need to have the right answers. And so some may deem them as bad and some, as did Paul, deemed it a good day. Even a great day because he got to experience Jesus in a very personal way. He got to experience him. Now, the reason so many of us today don't have such experiences as this is due to the fact that we work hard at avoiding the lessons God has for us to learn. We're not as teachable as we ought to be, nor are we as malleable as we ought to be. Paul stated that he had learned, learned he could do all things through Christ Jesus. And that's how that that verse uh, ends down here in, in the reading of our scripture this morning. When he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You don't learn that by pussyfooting around. You don't learn that by trying to escape from the things that God brings into our lives without finding godly answers and solutions. God can't supply your need when you're trying to escape rather than to endure with patience. So, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So you can do more than you think you can. You and I can endure more than we think we can endure. We can handle more than we think we can handle. And we can accomplish more than we think we can accomplish. Amen. And so Paul would ask us today, if he were here, 
What have and are we learning to be content in our lives with? Even if all we have, and I, I kind of use that tongue in cheek, if all we have is Christ, everything else is taken away from us, and all we have is Christ, could you be satisfied? Could you be satisfied? Lord, we pray that you'll guide and direct in the invitation before we go into the communion service today. And Lord, I, I would that you would open our hearts and our minds that we indeed would be challenged to realize that the Christian life is not just some sort of a surface lifestyle. Lord, it is meant to be rich, fulfilling, educational. Lord, it's meant to endear us to you and you to us. And Lord, we know so little when there is so much available that we can learn about you. So Lord, you know where we are today. You know the excuses that we make for avoiding the things that you would have us to do or to be involved in or whatever it might be in our life that you bring into our lives and and we mumble and we murmur and we complain and we grumble and we get frustrated because we don't think you're being fair. Lord, forgive us for all those things. And Lord, I don't know what the thoughts of the Apostle Paul were when he was in the three nights in the deep. But we do know that his mind was stayed on you. We know that when he was in prison with Silas that his mind was stayed on you after a, a horrible, horrific beating. And Lord, when he was able to come to his conscious, they were singing hymns and songs of praise. Lord, we don't do that. And again, Lord, forgive us for being grumpy, grumpy Christians. Lord, not, not all lessons come easy. Not all lessons are surrounded by ease. But they are important. And so, Lord, speak to us. Change us. Challenge us. So that we can be like Paul. We can have an impact like Lois and Eunice decades after we're gone. If we will so learn you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as Diane quietly plays on the piano. Preacher, pray for me today. I have not pursued the kind of life and relationship with the Lord that the Apostle Paul did. I somehow have looked at him as being some unique individual, some superhuman Christian. Folks, he wasn't any different than you and me. He was a sinner saved by grace who yielded and surrendered his life to say, Lord, whatever it is you have for me, Lord, I'm up for the task. But Lord, you're going to have to see me through it. And he trusted God. Preacher, pray for me. When I pass off this scene, if the rapture does not occur, then Lord, I want to be able to leave behind a legacy of someone who is serving the Lord and reaching people that I could never have imagined in my own life personally. But Lord, you've used me Lord, use me as that stepping stone. Preacher, would you pray for me? Yes. Hands are here and hands are a preacher. Pray for me. Home, you can make the same choices, the same decisions. 
And maybe at this point you're saying, Preacher, I don't even know if I go home in heaven. It's got to begin there. The Apostle Paul didn't have it. I mean, he was just known as Saul. And then he got saved and he became Paul. A man uniquely, totally committed and surrendered. And you and I can become every bit as unique in our surrender as well. Preacher, pray for me. I don't know if I got a home in heaven, but would you pray for me in closing today? Would you pray for me today? Well, let's stand together before we go into communion service. I think we just got to need to stand for just a second here. 453 in a hymnals. And, and, and uh, it's, it's a great song. I know, I know we're going to be a little bit late. I didn't mean to be that late. But where else can you go and sit and, and have a great time and not get charged overtime? Amen. Amen. Teach me thy way, O Lord. And that's, this should be uh, a song and a hymn that should, should be an integral part of our lives. Teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way. Thy guiding grace afford, teach me thy way. Let's sing. <laughs> If you need to leave and slip out before we go into communion service, uh, do so. And AJ and Daniel, if you'd come. And I'll just read a couple verses this morning from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, for us, communion is for the redeemed of the Lord only. If you're unsaved, do not participate. 
If your life is right with the Lord as a child of God, you may participate. If your life is not right with the Lord, then I would ask you also to let it pass. The Bible warns us here, and he says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be uh, condemned with the world. And uh, that's a warning for us here, is to judge ourselves. That is, I'm to look at my, my heart, my life. You look at your heart and your life before the Lord, and deal with it accordingly, and participate accordingly, if you would, this morning.
After the same manner also, Jesus took the cup and he had stopped saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, and you show the Lord's death till he comes in strength. And we're going to stand and sing one stanza, but let's get the time to bind our hearts. Like six o'clock tonight, these are another blockbuster for summer. Amen.